Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. Tennessee weather's great outside. I think the show will be equally as great inside tonight. And the NCAA tournament. How about that March Madness? You know what? Imagine a world where your Final Four doesn't consist of any Cinderellas, of any underdogs. Couldn't be my sport. Couldn't be college football. We had Cincinnati. Who you got? Nova, Duke, North Carolina, Kansas. Heard of them before, but I'm not here to give you bad faith straw man arguments about why college football's postseason is better. I'm not here to do that because we have more important things to discuss tonight. There is a huge recruiting splash that was made since the last time you and I spoke. We will discuss, we're going to talk a lot about what's more likely in 2022. I've got some really interestingly worded questions about things ranging from whether the major stadiums are going to be a thing of the past to, you know, our annual plea for a Saturday night national championship game instead of Monday. Uh, we got a lot of college football to discuss, as is usually the case when I open up the mailbag. You guys just span the entire continent of college football. The other night, I did an international shout-out. I think it was Cape Town, South Africa. And I mentioned, hey, that's cool. We got some international listeners. Well, I had no idea. So then I go and I look in the DMs and the emails, and boy, we got some international shout-outs tonight. I mean, I heard from two of you from Turkey the other day. Istanbul and Izmir, Turkey checking in. Hong Kong's in the house, Okinawa, Japan's here, Athens, Georgia, and Greece, as it turns out, and Lisbon, Portugal. Also Draper, Utah, if you're interested in such things. So thank you, wherever you're watching, thank you so much. Hey, there's a really interesting conspiracy starting to circulate around this show. And as we dive in tonight, I just want to ask you out there, which camp are you in? Are you of the opinion that director Colin and producer Jesse are, in fact, living, breathing human beings? Or did we make them up? If we made them up, which apparently an alarmingly growing number of you believe we have, and by we, I guess I mean me, then who's, who's got their hands on the wheel right now? Who's really running this thing? Just something to think about. All right, let's dive in here tonight. We got a lot to get to. Thank you so much. And make sure you're subscribed to the channel as we open things with a very, very hard to pronounce name. So this is why we're choosing this question to lead the show off. Uh, Late kick volunteer commenter hit us and said, what are your thoughts on Tennessee landing Nico Iamalavea? Nope, that's not it, Colin. Close. They got Nico, big-time five-star quarterback, and we've got a lot of time to learn the pronunciation. What, is, what are the thoughts here, though, on them getting him? Uh, this is a guy, you've probably heard the name already. Maybe you haven't tried to pronounce it. This is a huge deal. I don't want to gloss over how big this is because we're messing around about pronouncing the dude's name. You'll know about him. Be like, kind of like Tua or DJ Uyangalale, you'll know how to pronounce that name. He's going to make you know how to pronounce his name. He is committed to Tennessee, so that's part A. Before I get to the whole NIL um, tag that's associated with this, let's just talk for a second 
about how big this is because this is something that a lot of folks didn't think would happen. A lot of folks did not think that Josh Heupel would come to Tennessee and attract major talent. Well, that's happening, and as is usually the case when a big-time quarterback uh, commits to your campus, there will be several more dominoes to follow. So I feel ultra-confident now moving forward in the Tennessee recruiting apparatus, the entire recruiting infrastructure there. This is so big, though. So big. I mean, we're excited about Hendon Hooker this year at Tennessee and what he could do. 31-3 touchdown-interception ratio last year. Well, now we all of a sudden get to keep one eye on the field this year. This is a luxury Tennessee fans have not known for a long time. You get to have one eye on the field this year, but then you got the other eye cut over here on this commitment list, and we see a big-time quarterback prospect, all five of those stars next to his name. So that's the beauty for a Tennessee fan. But then, if you want to be a contrarian and if you want to argue about this and not give Tennessee and Josh Heupel credit, here's how you would make it sound. Well, yeah, it's easy when you got the kind of NIL money that he's going to get. If it's so easy, why doesn't your program have him would be my first question. The second question is, is that not the way the game is played now? The answer is yes. It's rhetorical. That is the way the game's played. So there are some details and facts and figures floating around out there about the kind of deal that he signed. It's structured very similarly to how I think most of the major NIL deals will be structured moving forward. I think they'll probably balloon in nature a little bit more. So you've seen those, those figures in the millions, uh, but I think it'll get a little bit bigger, but I don't think it'll just grow like a bubble forever. Reportedly, and I want to say reportedly, about 350K is essentially a signing bonus here, but over 2 million will be paid each year he's enrolled, each year he's eligible to play. Uh, there are appearance deals. It's kind of like a contract, a talent contract. You've got certain parameters you got to meet, you got boxes you got to check, and you'll get paid for it. So it's no different than a celebrity in that sense, that has signed an endorsement deal. Now, a lot of people have problems with this, probably a moot point by now, but a lot of people look at that and they say, well, that just doesn't feel like college football. I understand where you're coming from. You know I was drug into this kicking and screaming. I'm not particularly crazy about it, but I understand reality is reality. Now, there are a lot of questions out there that follow up on this, and it is something along the lines of, well, where does it end? He gets this much, and then the next kid's going to get this much. Well, let's be careful for a second, just assuming that the figures will forever balloon northward because we have not gone through a major NIL cycle yet. And what I mean by that is we watch recruiting every year, don't we? And we see kids that end up not fulfilling their immense uh, star rating hype every year. A lot of times it's for things that were outside of my control if I were to put a star ranking on a kid. But for whatever the reason, we see kids not pan out all the time. We've never seen NIL attached to it before. So now we got to watch a cycle or two and we got to watch a kid, um, not going to name names. We're going to see kids, though, that end up signing these mega deals and they just don't pan out. And so the folks who have been writing those checks are going to end up probably calibrating the way they go about doing things. And there may be a whole lot more performance-based and incentive-based guarantees layered into these NIL deals, kind of like there already is here. This is not just six or eight million dollars being plopped down in a kid's lap. There are a lot of parameters and incentives that you have to meet. Uh, But I do think that there is coming a day where there will be a major NIL deal or five signed. And then for whatever reason, the immense hype that is associated with said signee just doesn't end up panning out. And then there's a recalibration period. And then we settle into whatever the um, NIL market is going to be. But that's down the road. 
As for right now, this kid's going to end up being a big-time quarterback at Tennessee. At least I believe that. I don't think there's a big bust factor with him. I think he's really, really, really good. There's not, not a lot that's unknown about him, in other words. So I'm looking forward to that. And it will only bolster satellite recruiting, if you will, recruiting around the quarterback position. Big for Josh Heupel. Because not a lot of people thought that he would be able to do that. And he's using the parameters of the game as they are right now structured to pull off some things up there that already people said that he was not going to be capable of. I'm excited about it. Okay, let's move on here. Uh, Tennessee kind of, kind of fits the description of this question. Uh, Dr. Van Nostrum asks, are giant stadiums for college football a thing of the past? It seems more and more that people are wanting to enjoy the game from home. And we kind of had a segment about this, I'd say about three weeks ago. And there are a lot of factors here. I'll tell you what we were talking about. I remember now we were talking about uh, the attendance figures being down relative to what the five-year rolling average had been. And everyone wanted to attribute one reason. And in reality, there are probably like 30 reasons. Uh, let's make no mistake about it. Part of it is the enhanced in-home experience. Also, I think part of it was we're still one or two years removed from COVID and people just have not gotten back to whatever normal was for them. Thirdly, financial times may have been tight for them. Uh, fourthly, I'm not going to list all 30, but I, I th also think that you have a ticket price situation. That ticket market is not nearly as affordable, especially for a family as it used to be. So there are a lot of factors in play, but yes, absolutely. Absolutely. The in-home experience has never been better. And I also think that Stadium to stadium, I'm not going to castigate everyone, but stadium to stadium, I'm a believer that some venues do not do a good enough job of keeping you looped in and keeping you in the game. And by game, I mean the national game on Saturday and letting you know what's happening outside that stadium. I'm not talking about between plays, but man, during those 15 commercial breaks you have every quarter, it seems, I could get an updated score on, on Brigham Young San Diego, like I, or San Diego State. I don't have to be waiting until I drive home and get cell phone service for it. So anyway, all that said to say, yes, I do think that the mega stadium construction is a thing of the past. We've seen some restructuring already of venues uh, at places like Tennessee, or, or you'll see a number of these SEC schools over the next few years, and Big Ten schools, the places where the, the 100,000 seat mega stadium cathedral type stadiums exist. You'll see them restructure the venues to make them a little more hospitable, maybe widen seats by six inches a piece. You put in more luxury areas and it's just catering to a different fan. But also there's this other thing that I don't think college venues have taken advantage of in the past. And that is being able to attract other acts. You know, a lot of times your college football stadium hosts anywhere from seven to eight home football games a year. And then it's just there and no one does anything in it. You have the spring game, and you may, you may open up the club sections for parties and stuff like that, but these stadiums are used fractionally compared to what they could be used for. And a lot of times, the major concerts, you know, the, the Garth Brooks or Kenny Chesney, those big, like, summer touring acts, they don't hit up a lot of the college stadiums just because the amenities aren't good enough. I know they've done a few of them. I think Garth Brooks played Notre Dame Stadium recently. Um, I think, I think Aldine and Luke Bryan, I think they've played Sanford Stadium. They're Georgia guys. So, you know, it was kind of a sweetheart deal there. But I, I think that these college stadiums with just a little remodeling could be attractive. Who's to say that one day we couldn't see a WrestleMania in Death Valley? Would they still chant neck if WrestleMania was held at LSU? I don't know why not. But anyway, 
So yeah, I definitely think there's a lot of restructuring that will happen. You don't, you don't tear down the stadium, but certainly you take capacity from 101K to 93K, and in turn you insert a lot of things there from an amenity standpoint that you didn't always have. Yes, that's absolutely coming and it's already happening in many places. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank linkedin helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role in a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. All right, let's move on here. I don't even have a name, but I know what this question is. Jose asks, what are realistic expectations for the new look Miami first full recruiting cycle? Plenty of buzz about the staff, but... We're wondering if we are setting the bar too high for the first cycle together. Well, let's define where the bar has been set. I've set it really high. I won't back away from that. I've set the bar for Miami's first full recruiting cycle under Mario Cristobal really high. And the first full cycle, meaning this one that we're in right now. They still managed to sign the best major class in the state of Florida this past cycle, and they were on campus like 10 minutes. So they ended up doing that. I think they were 15th, somewhere in the mid-teens. Now what are they going to do with their first full cycle? My expectation is they will flirt with a top five class every cycle, and that's including this one. I think they'll be up there. I think they'll be that lofty a recruiting power. Notable commits already. They got Cyrus Moss in there, Nigelie Kelly's in there, and we're showing you the chart. It's too early to even break this down, but I think it pales in comparison to the noise that they're going to be able to make as a staff on the recruiting trail this cycle and in years to come. What they're going to do this year, what this Miami staff will do this recruiting cycle, is they'll cast the vision, they will have announced they've arrived, and they'll let you know by the result next early signing day and national signing day. You'll know, I think, a lot of what some people are still doubting. I don't doubt it, but I think a lot of people do still doubt it. But then all, all of a sudden, the talk will turn from right now, is it just going to be that big a deal, period? Or is this higher overblown? It'll go from that to, okay, well, we see they're going to recruit. 
eh, Mario Cristobal's recruited before, so maybe I shouldn't have been surprised by that. But now, is he going to get it done on the field? That's already where I am. I'm not even worried about recruiting. You know, so the question here is almost an afterthought to me, Jose. I would be stunned if they weren't recruiting at the very least at a top 10 level. But I, I, I had an argument with a guy the other day, one of our viewers. I had an argument where he said it's just totally unrealistic to think that Miami could recruit at a top five level. It's not like I don't know what I'm saying. Five, five, four, three, somewhere around there, that's big time. I just think it's a big time staff. I think the staff was put together to have immediate brand and name recognition in the state of Florida. I don't think they're going to confine themselves just to South Florida, but that will certainly be, um, for all intents and purposes, their base of operation, and they'll prioritize that. But look, if they need to go to Raleigh, uh, if they need to go to New Orleans, if they need to go to Little Rock, they could do that. This staff is fully capable of doing that. You don't, you don't just have South Florida recruiters here. You got national recruiters who know South Florida, and that was the priority and the emphasis that Mario Cristobal placed on putting the staff together, and he largely got guys. He got guys with pedigrees. He got guys that have already been around the block, guys that know the South, guys that know South Florida in particular, and guys that have credibility. When you go Wikipedia, a lot of these guys, they're not first or second year types. They've been places before. They've worked for some of the best. And so now you don't have to wonder whether he can be able to. They already have. So I don't have any doubt about that. What I'm already thinking is what I think a lot of people will end up thinking. I'm already thinking recruiting is going to be great. Let's see what they do on the field. That's where I've been since day one with Mario Cristobal in town. So I, I think it stands to reason if you had doubts about him at Oregon and whether he could take Oregon to the playoff and beyond, it's fair to still have those doubts. That's fair. It's also reasonable, though, to understand in the grand scheme of things, this is still a young head coach. You got some years at FIU, but on the major scene, the Power Five scene, I mean, you don't even have, what do you have, half a decade? Uh, around half a decade. That's that's Kirby Smart. Like, that's, that's what Kirby Smart has. And um, so I think it's, it's really fun to watch. I think a lot of times you got to recalibrate your, your perspective on guys when they don't immediately match what the best in the game are doing. You don't just throw them out. Like, I know this may be a shock to some people. You can become better even after someone's made you a head coach. When we had Mario on the show uh, about a month ago, I asked him that. I said, what have you learned? Like, what do you evaluate about yourself? that you think can get better. And he went into a lot of detail about that. So, Jose, my expectation is flirt with a top five class. That's my expectation for this recruiting cycle. Uh, moving right along here, good pace. I wanted to liven up the pace a little bit tonight. I think we've done it so far. I have a, I also, before I get into this question, I just got to warn you, I've got probably one of the, hmm, most involved Academy ad reads that we've ever done. So much so that I'm not going to try and trap you and subconsciously drag you into the ad read. I am outright teasing our ad read tonight because we have props. And that's all I can say. I can see it over here. You can't yet. All right, so let's go to the next question here. The Big Z asks, if you had to create a set of criteria for the College Football Playoff Committee to determine who's in, what would said criteria be if you had to limit to three data points? I've never been diagnosed with ADD. I think I have it though. And so a lot of times when I'm answering these sorts of questions, all this stuff just becomes word salad, uh, data and different data points and data sets, all that stuff. I, I know what I value, but I really want it laid out like a fifth grader would. And so today, because of said undiagnosed condition, 
I hit up Nerd Josh over from College Football Nerds. He's great at this stuff. I ask him for legal advice all the time. I ask him for data advice all the time. And uh, instead of stealing his thoughts, because I know he's lurking in the chat over here, I, I just said, you know what? You send me what you think, because I already know we agree. You're just going to word it. You're going to articulate it a lot fancier than I ever would. And here's what we came up with. By we, I mean him. But I agree with all this. First and foremost, I would value record. Even though you are not always what your record says you are, record is the most important thing. Even I'm telling you, winning football games has got to always be the most important thing, but there's a proper way to interpret this for anyone that is wanting to be honest about the process. You've got to be able to put these wins in tiers, in quadrants, if you will. And so not only do I want to know what your record is, I want to know how much quad one wins you have, how much quad two wins you have. We can, you know, go down a different rabbit hole of talking about how we define the quadrants, but I need to know how many wins you have, how many losses you have. But look, if you're out there 12-0, and 0, but you don't have anything better than one quadrant two win, and I got uh, my buddy over here, University of Arkansas, sitting at nine and three, but they got three quad one losses and four more quad two wins, I may think they're better than you, even though you're undefeated and they're sitting here with three losses. So yes, record matters. We got to properly interpret it. Second thing, and this is where that comes into play. Opponent adjusted rating. Think S&P Plus. Uh, think it, any, any of a number of them float out there. I think some are more reputable than others. S&P Plus is pretty universally respected, though. That's Bill Connolly's rating. And what this is, is it, is it, is, is, slow down. It is a rating, not a ranking. It is a rating, but it is a rating to where you have the teams you have played factored in. So let's go back to that scenario. If you're 12-0, but you haven't played anything better than the 61st best team in the country, but I'm 9-3, and three, and I've played three top 10 teams, and those are my losses, an opponent-adjusted rating system may have me ahead of you. Because that, that system's looking at you and saying, well, you kind of got a hollow 12-0, because if I were to give you this schedule, I think, my system thinks, I think that you would be a three-loss team, minimum three-loss team. So I would have opponent-adjusted ratings. And then you got to have a way to properly define true strength of schedule. Now, when I say true strength of schedule, I do not mean we get to the finish line and then we take the college football playoff committee rankings and then we ask, all right, how many games have you played against the top 25 as currently defined? And that's how we're going to determine your strength of schedule. I don't care about that. Don't care because there are a lot of factors that have probably come into play during the season that have adjusted the value that would have been on a game that you and I played the second week of September. Famously, we have seen games pitting top 10, top 15 caliber teams in week one, week two, week three. One team beats the other team. The other team incurs a lot of injury down the stretch and then they get all discombobulated and sideways and they go off the rails and they got four or five losses. And all of a sudden, people wanna tell you what your eyeball saw in week three, that high level competitive game it wasn't really what you thought it was. Because look, this team's a five-loss team. So that in week three was a win against a five-loss team. No, it wasn't. And so you know my theory on this. I, and we can go down the rabbit hole again if we want to, I want a way to determine the value of a game. Whether it's a win or a close loss, I want that value determined that day. And the only way you're adjusting that, aside from the rare exception to the rule, the only way I would permit you to adjust that is if you inflated the value of a win. I don't have any problem if I beat a team 
30 to 27 in week two. And then that team goes on to have a run of their own. And I got criticized for barely beating them in week two. But by week nine, you're saying uh, that win actually was a whole lot better than we thought it was. I don't have a problem with that uh, because teams don't deceptively get a whole lot better unless it's legit. Teams deceptively get a whole lot worse all the time. And it shouldn't take away from the value you have uh, from winning or playing against them months ago. So I want record properly defined. I want opponent adjusted rating in there. I want a true strength of schedule. And here's why you have to have all these. You have to be able to distinguish between teams like 2020 Alabama, 2020 Ohio State. Those were teams that dominated a bunch of other good teams. Then you had a team like 2020 Brigham Young that dominated a bunch of not good teams. And then you had a team like 2020 Notre Dame that barely beat some good teams. So there are different calibers of teams there. I have to be able to properly define and I have to be able to properly interpret. And since this is not the NFL and never will be, no matter how much you guys want it to be, we will not ever play equal schedules. Don't, that doesn't mean you have to turn the sport upside down. It does mean though that we have to go about determining our postseason a little bit differently. I think we handled that well, especially for thoughts that weren't authentically ours. Okay, so um, about three weeks ago, I was seated right here, and I, I had an email from one of you, like you guys normally do, and you sent me a receipt from your visit to Academy Sports and Outdoors, and you said, I bought a tent, but that's not what I want to tell you. I want to tell you about this. And then you sent me a picture of many tents at Academy Sports and Outdoors, and I said, wait a second, because I had never seen them. I said, you mean to tell me that you bought a full-size tent, but they've got, they've got like scaled versions of those tents there for you to look at? And he said, yeah, like you didn't think it was a big deal. I thought it was cool. And since we have a partnership with Academy, the next day I hit up Nick, our sales guy, attached to us like Velcro, and I said, Nick, I need you to get in touch with Marin over at Academy. And I want to know if we can get some of those. I, I, I want a mini tent for the set. And they did not send me one mini tent. That's the bad news. The good news is they sent us three. And we have a nameless, faceless production executive minion in the house tonight. And he's going to bring, as soon as I clear a spot off, one of the many tents out here. I think this is one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. If you're listening on podcast, you just need to understand this is a full Magellan tent. I don't pretend to know the ins and outs of these things. But much like Vanna White, I can kind of run my hand over it. Uh, it's got kind of a mixture of a Wheel of Fortune feel with a Price is Right feel in the studio right now. But it's springtime. And I think, why listen to me talk about what you can get from Academy Sports and Outdoors when you can just see what you can get from Academy Sports and Outdoors? And if I'm being real with you, I know it's scaled. This tent looks nicer than the first apartment that I stayed in. It certainly looks nicer than what our office looked like up until about, what, last week? Yeah. So this is a beautiful tent. I don't know what the price tag is on this. I know the mini tent was free for us. And look, we are blessed. Hashtag blessed beyond measure here. But um, this right here would fit perfectly in any national park or maybe in your backyard or down through the woods at the end of the cul-de-sac. I don't know how you live your life. I don't know where you live, but I'm just saying, this is a sturdy mini tent. I got to imagine the parent version of this tent. This is the child tent. The parent version of this tent's got to look pretty good too. But whether it be softball, we hope to be playing that soon here. Uh, whether it be baseball, whether it be football, soccer, all kinds of stuff going on outside, or you just want to hit up a camping trip, Academy Sports and Outdoors. Okay, so now we Snap the fingers twice. Production minion comes back in, takes the tent, and that's that. Our first ever prop that we've used on the show. We rehearsed that 
and it went about as well as I think it could have gone. Before I move on, though, I got to tell you, I had a long conversation with Nick, actually, yesterday. Two shout-outs for Nick. And uh, th- what you guys do with Academy is really incredible. What our, our audience does with Academy is really incredible. There are a lot of metrics in our industry wherein partners try and measure what the value of a partnership has meant to them. And whatever those metrics normally are, ours is always like way, way, way through the roof because we have had our audience take Academy and just weave them into the fabric of the show. I can't do that. I can just tell you what I would love for you to do. But you guys have done that uh, because it's not really a show. It's a lot more community. So you've latched onto that and we all benefit because of it. Not just because we get many tents. Let's be real. That's nice. Uh, but because it lets us do whatever we want to. You, you don't have to pay for this show. You know, we don't have to put it on Patreon. Uh, we don't have to do any of that because Academy's there for us because you've been there for Academy. So I appreciate you guys for that. Okay. Now we move on. Can't stop looking at the mini tent now. Hmm. All right. We move on here. Uh, here's a question from official Ohio State DG. He said, for 2022, is Texas back more likely or is Sark gone more likely? Now, to me, this didn't take long to answer. Like, I was trying to envision a scenario where Sark was gone. Outside of scandal, I don't even know how that would happen. I, I mean, Texas could bomb this year and go, let's say, five and seven. That was what they were, I think, last year. Five and seven again. I don't think he'd be fired. He'd certainly be in a lot of you know, a lot of trouble, if you want to call it that. He'd be under a lot of pressure. I don't think he'd be gone. Especially when you factor in percentage-wise what the odds are that they're back this year. And by back, I think we're talking about Big 12 championship contention. I think there's a much greater chance of that. Let's remember what's happening there. You've got the number one quarterback in America from two recruiting cycles ago now. You've got him on campus. Uh, Presumably he'll be your starter. Maybe that means a lot this year. Maybe it doesn't, but it certainly doesn't mean nothing. Uh, They recruited very well along the lines of scrimmage this past recruiting cycle. They've gotten a ton of influx of talent from the transfer portal. How all that gels remains to be seen. Yes, we all understand that. But there are reasons to be a lot more optimistic this year than there were last year. So certainly you could have it just not come together. We could end up finding out that this staff wasn't what we thought it would be. It's way too early to know either way, I think. But then thirdly, you could take all that and you could take the most negative of potential scenarios. I think there are far more likely paths where Texas is a 9 or 10 win team than they are a 5 win team this upcoming year. Now keep in mind, they open with UL Monroe, but they've got Alabama in there in week two. Now that Alabama game could go a number of different ways. That could be a 49 to 13 drubbing, or it could be a 38 to 31 loss. I mean, of course they could pull the upset, but even if they lose to Alabama, there are different ways they could lose that game. This goes back to one of the big lies in football. You are what your record says you are, not all the time. And, um, you know, a, a win is a win. A loss is a loss. That's not always the case either. So that week two in college football with Texas hosting Alabama, we'll learn a lot there. But I'll also also tell you this now. Probably whenever that Bo Davis rant happened, week 10, week 11 last year, remember how there were two camps. But really, camp one was pretty small and camp two was pretty large. Camp one was, oh, this is just indicative of a bigger mess at Texas. But that wasn't breaking news. 
that was already there. You had brought in a new staff to try and rectify that, and they didn't have pixie dust, so it didn't happen overnight. But what you saw for the first time is you saw someone with that Longhorn logo on his chest calling out that mess during a season, and because someone had a cell phone rolling, you got to witness it. Camp 2, which was disproportionately larger than Camp 1, didn't laugh at it. And Camp 2 didn't criticize it. Camp 2 said, well, good for Bo Davis, first off. That guy's been at Alabama. He's been around championship teams. He knows what it looks like, and he knows what he's seeing right now is not that. And then I loved the following week how Sark didn't apologize for it. If anything, he endorsed it because everything that was said was true. And from that point, I bookmarked that. I talk about it a lot on the show still. I bookmarked that moment because I said, all right, well, those are the words. We certainly heard the right words said there, and I don't doubt he felt them, and I don't doubt that staff feels them. Let's see how much of the roster they can turn over. Well, then we got into that season, and they overturned a big chunk of it, and they did bring in a top-five recruiting class. So everything that you would want to have happen from that point moving forward so far has happened, right? Even above and beyond your expectation because you ended up getting Quinn Ewers too. Just got to understand. The time does march on, but it doesn't always march on at the pace you want it to march on at. So if Texas is a, a seven or an eight win team this year, I, that doesn't mean it's, it's throwaway time. Hopefully we don't have to worry about that. But if you see progress, if you see you know, little, little saplings sprouting up, sometimes that's what it looks like. Sometimes that's what growth as a program looks like. But I think there is, to answer the question, a far more likely chance that we're looking at Texas at the December 2020 mark and saying, hey, I kind of think they're back. Then we are saying, wow, who's Texas about to hire as their next head coach? <sighs> now that I've campaigned for Sark, let's talk about something I think we all agree on. Uh, Flo Grown Gator asks, well, let me rephrase. Flo Grown Gator says, I'm of the opinion that the national championship game should be held on Saturday, not Monday. Any chance that change will ever happen? The answer here is, in all likelihood, no, up until you elect me commissioner of college football and I hit you with the executive order, which everyone has to abide by. Even TV networks have to abide by an EO from the commissioner's office. But up until that point, and that could be weeks down the road, up until that point, no, this thing's not moving off Monday night. Just like the college basketball national championship game is not moving off Monday night. Virtually no one likes this. Well, virtually no one in our world likes it. By our world, I don't mean the broadcast world. Forget about that. I don't work for CBS right now. I am you. We don't like it. College football fans don't like it. No one likes the title game being on a Monday night. Your entire sport is built on a Saturday platform, and, then, and it's built on campuses, and then all of a sudden, you've got a postseason structure that takes the most important games and they throw them in lifeless NFL venues, and they put them on weird dates, and then it culminates with a Monday night game that's not over until after midnight on the East Coast, and everyone's thinking, now i got to go to work in the morning. How stupid is this? And so the answer here would clearly be to move this to Saturday, but I need you to be aware of something. Just as soon as you and I start talking amongst ourselves about how great a Saturday national championship game would be, and how there's a supermajority consensus opinion on this, that we want this, you've got to beware of the intellectual casual. They lurk amongst us, and the intellectual casual is the one with a very, very tightly tied bow tie, or a very snug sweater vest. And they've probably got the glasses on, even if they aren't prescription frames, just to wear them around you. And they're going to sit you down, and they're going to tell you, 
<clears throat> you know we can't have this for reasons you don't quite understand. And go take a shower. You probably haven't today. And when you come back, I'll explain to you why Monday night is prime television real estate and Saturday night is a dead zone. And it would not make financial sense to put the title game there. They explain these things to you like you don't know that. Like it's a pretty standard operating procedure to understand that game's got to be there for a reason. Even if you've never worked in a high rise in Manhattan and you've never broken down quarterlies and you've never looked at Rin track numbers and Nielsen numbers, everyone knows in some shape, form, or fashion, there's got to be a financial and business related reason why that game's on a Monday night. We all get that. We just don't care. And secondly, I have grown to really question a lot of this logic. And by that, I mean, I work in this business. I can have this uh, I can have this dumbed down to me all the time and explained to me, but here's what I know, and here's what you know good and well. You know your viewership habits have changed over the last 15 years, and there is a lot of very, very grandfathered-in logic about TV windows and which nights work and which nights don't work that I think is obsolete now. Here's what I know. When you have an event, they'll find your event. So then the intellectual casual will come back in the room and say, uh, uh, uh. We're not looking to just appeal to the diehard college football fan. We're looking to appeal to, well, the casuals amongst us. If you have an event and it is valuable and it is wanted by the public, I'm going to reiterate, in the modern digital media age, they will go find it wherever it is and whenever it is. So in the future, no, this is probably not going to change because I don't think that there is a very smart conversation that's been had about this for a long time. But I'm telling you, if we move that game to Saturday, you and I would be happy and the sport wouldn't suffer at all. And the game wouldn't suffer at all. And the, you know, the, the dollars you make off of it wouldn't suffer at all. Or if they did, it would be negligible. But no one likes Monday night national championship games. Nobody does. Have you ever met someone who says to you, you know what I really love about this sport? is that we get to have the title games on Monday night. No one likes that. No one. <sighs> Moving on. I'm passionate about it. We, we do a, an annual plea for that. It always goes unheard, but that's okay. We do an annual plea about that. They're watching us tonight in Draper, Utah. I mentioned that earlier. But I did not tell you, Rocky Mountain theme here. They're watching us in Steamboat Springs, Colorado. Uh, well, actually, this is not Rocky Mountain themed at all because they're watching us in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. And got it on good authority. Shout out number two. They're watching us in Russellville, Arkansas. Thank you wherever you are watching or listening and whenever you do it. I know a lot of you won't be listening to this until Monday afternoon or Monday evening. Thank you. Subscribe to the pod. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. That's all I ask. Every, everything we ask you to do is free. <laughs> Razorback Shenanigans, is that the name I'm seeing? Yeah. Razorback Shenanigans with a fascinating question here. I had to get help from uh, the fictitious director Colin and fictitious producer Jesse today on this. He said, what will be the next implementation of technology in college football? I'll give you what I thought about first, and then I'll give you what they thought about. What they thought about is very common. It's right in front of your face. I should have thought about it earlier. But I was thinking along different lines. I was thinking about virtual reality, and I, it's already being used a lot. But I also thought about lucid dreaming. Now, this is out there, so you're going to have to follow me on this. But I know the, uh, the U.S. military discovered long ago that the best way to mentally train elite fighters is to control how they sleep and to control what they dream when they sleep. Sometimes this was done a little sketchafily, but if you can control a lucid dream cycle, 
then you can control how someone is sleeping. And also, it turns out, science has shown us that the way you handle yourself when you're lucid dreaming, that's that really, really deep sleep where you feel like you weigh about 500 pounds and you're, you're so aware in the dream as if it's real life, the way you handle yourself in that state of sleep is largely the way that you would make your decisions if it were real life. So in a militaristic sense, why put you out on the battlefield when we can simulate it here and we get the same result without any casualties? Well, in college football, the stakes aren't quite that high, but I wonder if there's a day that comes, not where we can replace the physicality of practice. We'll never replace that. You've got to have your body physically ready. But I wonder if there ever comes a smarter way to mentally prepare guys and coaches too. I'm a believer younger head coaches exist now than ever have before because of the technological advances in this game that allow you to expose yourself to thousands to tens to hundreds of thousands of observed repetitions of all sorts of things that you normally would have had to coach a lifetime to experience. I mean, what Kirby Smart's mid 40s now. And that guy's probably seen more with his eyes. He's been exposed to more than some coaches that a generation ago were 60, 70 years old. Just because technology's allowed him to do that. Well, I wonder as players and coaches in the future, I wonder if what you're doing when you're asleep becomes part of that. I also wonder about virtual reality and how you can simulate mentally the repetition that you get in a football sense without having to you know, risk injury. There cannot ever be a day where you replace pure physicality. I understand that. I'm talking about supplementing that. Now, as for Director Colin and Producer Jesse, they said, what about in-game technology? And this is the obvious one. I've screamed this from the mountaintops and then I forgot about it when one of you asked the question, how we don't have microchips in footballs and lasers shot across the field to pick up true spotting of balls in 2022 is nuts to me. Think about the moon landing. Think about the, all the incredible advances that we've made as a society. Some of these things happened 50 plus years ago and we cannot even get a true spot of a football in 2022. And the entire setting is controlled. This is not the moon. This, this is not Bruce Willis on the asteroid where everything's unpredictable. We control the setting. We control the broadcast. We control the field. We control the parameters, everything, the dimensions we created. We made the game. How do we not have microchip technology in footballs? I don't mean one chip. I mean, go through the seams of the football. So on every part of that ball, there is a microchip ability to where it corresponds with a laser that is shot across the field to determine a true spot. How many times in a college football game, and NFL for that matter, on Saturdays and Sundays, do you watch a third and short, and you're sitting there waiting with bated breath to wonder if a guy made it, and you're watching and you realize there's a 67-year-old linesman who's running out here, and my fate, whether it be this betting ticket I have, or this team I've rooted for all year, and my fingernails have been chewed to the nub, our fate rests on where he thinks this ball is supposed to be. And it gets even worse tenfold when you get down near the goal line. And inevitably, if you got a goal to go and you got half a yard between you and the end zone, no one's going five wide if they have any sense about themselves. And inevitably, you're going to have a sea, just a mass of humanity. They're on the goal line. No one knows where to spot that ball. We've watched this happen in bowl season this past year. If you're watching right now, this was not ruled a touchdown. Pure insanity. And think about how easy this could be rectified, especially at the goal line. If you don't want to microchip and laser the whole field, 
at least have laser technology at the goal line, at least have a strip that's run across the front of the goal line that corresponds with the microchip in the football to where we know as long as you can watch visually and know where forward progress was stopped, we know where the football was. We'll never have to guess where the football was. Instead, we've got just ridiculousness that's so unnecessary. There's some stuff in this game we can't take out. The occasional injury, we could legislate all we want to. We cannot take injuries totally out of the game. Poor spots that change the outcomes of games, we can take that out of the game tomorrow. And yet, anytime you bring this up, I think we have supermajority consensus agreement on this too, and yet we never hear anything about it. When, when does the rules committee, when do they ever propose stuff to rectify this? They don't. I don't know. Again, that's one of my many executive orders on day one in office as your college football commissioner. I've got something special to show you here, so let's take a look at the question first. We developed a rule on the show last week, and well, darned if they weren't paying attention in East Lansing, Michigan. Uh, they Call Me Rojo asks, are you really that confident that Michigan State can make the playoff under Mel Tucker? The Big Ten East is already stacked. Hashtag Pate State. Well, I've made some comments that are pretty strong about Michigan State as of late, and I said I thought there were some things happening up there. I thought the program may be on a, a trajectory that we haven't seen before. And if that's the case and it continues, then it's at least reasonable to wonder if they're capable of doing things we haven't seen before. Michigan State's made the playoff. They made it the second year, I think, in 2015. But certainly in this era, the era of the super team and the era of the have and the have not, we rarely have seen a program cross that bridge. And I'm looking and I'm thinking, Maybe those ingredients exist at Michigan State to do something irregular. Now, I vocalized all that. And then we made a rule last week on the show that if Late Kick appears in your spring hype video or any hype video that you put out, if you put us in your videos, we are putting you on this show and we're playing the entire video. Well, there I am walking out of the gym the other day and my DMs blow up and it's one after another of you from Michigan and the surrounding area saying, take a look at what our creative services department did. And why tell you what they did when we can just roll it ourselves? Take a look. I can tell my answer here is gonna be different than yours. My answer is yes. I think Michigan State can win a national championship in the next decade. I think that because I think that there are things that are going to happen there under Mel Tucker that are irregular in historic nature. I was on the field when they beat Michigan. That was about so much more than beating Michigan. That was about announcing to the world with all the pregame shows in town and the spotlight on East Lansing that this is a place where you can come not just as a backup option, but as a premier option. You got offers from Ohio State? Come here anyway. You got offers from Clemson and Alabama? Think about coming here anyway. Because we got a pretty special thing going on up here and it's only just begun. interested in just winning games. We want to be great. We want to compete for championships. But if we want to compete for championships, we got to make a commitment every day to getting that much better. And then we get that much better by having great teammates and great team leaders. Put your hand down, let's go! Let's go! 
We all got to get tough. Everybody's going to look at each other and say, I did everything that I could do for you. Go green! Go white! And I'm going to reiterate that now. It doesn't matter if people think Michigan State is or isn't capable of filling the blank. If you know you're capable of it, that's all that matters. And so Mel Tucker, I'll tell you this, he is recruiting with an energy at Michigan State I've never seen anyone recruit with there. Rules are rules. You put us in the hype video, we're going to play it. Thank you to uh, our friends at Michigan State. And that's a number that is, that is ballooning as we speak. Got to go up there for the first time this past year. Will not be my last time going up there. Do I believe all that? Yeah, I wouldn't say it on the show if I didn't believe it. So notice what was said and what wasn't said. That wasn't a specific year for a prediction. It's not a 2022 prediction. It's a very generic observation about what's happening up there. What's happening up there is there are a lot of kids that are looking at Michigan State right now that normally wouldn't have looked at them. When I was up there on campus, there was just a different energy about the place. And the thing about it is, sure, I'm an outsider. But I know from listening to folks who have been there a long time, observationally, and when they echo that same sentiment, you realize, this may be my first time here, but I'm not so stupid as to not realize I'm witnessing something special right along with these folks who have been here for a long time. And the thing about it is they know it. You know, lifers, Michigan State lifers, they know what has been. And even under the best of circumstances, they know what their program has and hasn't been capable of. And all of a sudden, it just feels like the seal's been broken. And you don't know what the future holds. You don't know what the records will end up being, what the accomplishments will be. But man, it's hard not to feel good about the direction of Michigan State football right now. And when you, don't, when you pretend like you don't have limitations or you just eliminate them entirely, forget about what history says we are and aren't capable of. You know, forget about what the rest of college football says we are and aren't capable of. They did a lot of stuff last year they weren't supposed to be capable of doing. And that's at the very infancy of this program and this tenure and this staff. So I think they're capable of whatever they want to be capable of in the future. I'm really excited. It's one of my programs I've got circled. So I'm really excited to watch them. Uh, but yes, so I don't think that'll be the last hype video that we appear in. Just know those are the rules. You put us in the hype video, we're putting you on the show. We appreciate that. We had one more question, I think, uh, Colin or Jesse, I think one more. Yeah, so just a dude hit us up and said, please describe what 24 hours in the life of a storm chaser is like. Intense, windy, to quote the late Philip Seymour Hoffman. I got one of these coming up Wednesday again, so cross the fingers. Uh, there's our, our generic tornado video that we shot on the iJosh from, oh man, Billingsley, Alabama, a couple years ago. It, is, uh, it, it starts really early. Normally, you're on the road. It starts really early. you got to look at model guidance, and the high-res solutions are coming out by that time, so you got a really good idea of day of setup, and so you're trying to isolate. Like the other day, I started the day in Tuscaloosa, drove down to Meridian, met up with our chase team from Arkansas, going to tell you a lot more about them, probably going to ask you to subscribe to their channel later this week, more on that. If you want to watch me live streamed while I'm chasing tornadoes, we can do that. Uh, and then you, you just try and stay up to the minute and you try and coordinate. You got to position yourself. You don't want to go chase one rogue cell like we almost got caught doing the other day and miss three or four more that spin up to your south. So it's a it's somewhat of a guessing game. You try and be as guided in that guessing as possible. But also, if you chase in the area of the country that we chase in, which largely is the southeast, it is treacherous. It's not like the Great Plains. It's not like being able to chase in Wichita or Broken Arrow or anywhere in like Oklahoma, Kansas, Nebraska, where you can see seven miles on any direction on the horizon. It is a crapshoot in Mississippi, where I'll be probably again this Wednesday. 
um, Alabama, especially western portions of Alabama. I've chased in Georgia. You get in those areas, especially like south and southwest Mississippi, pine trees all over the place. It's tough. So you got to be very careful also because you don't want to get yourself down in a situation where you cannot maneuver if you want to. No dirt roads, especially down in this area. Uh, none of that. So it all builds up to what you hope will be prime firing hours. And normally that's mid to late afternoon, not all the time. Looks like probably the setup we've got this week. But it goes by so fast, you lose track of time. It's kind of like doing something you love. If you've really been, if you've been locked in a book before, or you've been at a sporting event before, you realize it's the theory of relativity. You know, an hour can feel like a minute, a minute can feel like an hour. Well, when you're chasing tornadoes and you love it, if you're not terrified, if you love it like I do, uh, those, those hours just feel like minutes. And you look up and it's like, it's four o'clock already. How did that happen? And all of a sudden, then you're racing against daylight. And normally that action will fire right as you're losing sunlight. And so you, you got to roll the dice sometimes. And you may only have one more cell that you can chase with the daylight that's left. And then those nocturnal tornadoes kick in. And oof, that, I leave that normally for somebody else. But we got a big week coming up. I mean, it's, it's spring. So, it, so it's, it's go time for us. Uh, looking at targeting Mississippi this week, probably again. TBD on that. Our schedule, though, has stayed the same. And I said on Twitter today, and I'm going to reiterate this. I know it's March, and a lot of folks have flat out quit out there, and, and they'll be back probably around SEC media days. But I feel like this question and answer format that you guys have helped us with over the past few weeks, we've done it during March Madness, I've loved it. We've got such variety of content. Director Colin, fictitious though he may be, even made new thumbnails if you've looked on the YouTube channel. So I've loved this. I do not ever plan on abandoning going hard in the paint in the spring. Basketball pun there. Uh, because you guys are still here. As long as you're still here, what you're telling me is you don't want us to have an off season. So we don't have one. And we got stuff. We, obviously, we got plenty to talk about all year. It's 51 after. So we've gone nearly an hour tonight. So I appreciate you guys being tuned in. Because if you weren't here, we wouldn't do it. So I appreciate it. Make sure you're subscribed. Subscribe to the pod. Spotify, our numbers are already through the roof. Uh, Apple, if you haven't already, do it. And if you have already done it, make sure you swipe five friends' phones and do it on theirs and uh, do it on the YouTube channel too. So look, this conspiracy continues to grow. I mean, some, I asked you guys today on Twitter, I said, I've never named a conspiracy theory before. So to, to remind some of you what's going on, if you're new here, Director Colin is a hardworking, best director in the business. He's behind the scenes right now. He's like literally through this wall. And producer Jesse's over there. Or are they? Because their faces have never been seen. And some of you don't believe in theater of the imagination. Some of you just flat out think they don't exist. Now, I used to think it was one or two of you. And I used to think you were joking. Not all of you are. Some of you dead seriously think that they're not real. They could walk on air right now if they wanted to. But why? They don't owe that to you. And so we have one of those good old-fashioned March college football show conspiracies that we have to name. Some people said it should be the lone streamer theory. Some people said it should be Colinon. There are a lot of conspiracy theory names that are floating around out there. I need a good one, though. Because I can tell you they're not marching on camera anytime soon. They are not going to give you the satisfaction. And so in lieu of that, we got a conspiracy. And no one loves a good conspiracy as much as me aside from possibly my sister. And so she may be the one that comes up with a name for this, but in light of this new information, we gotta have a name. 
For those of you out there who believe that Colin is not real, Jesse's not real, I cannot confirm nor deny. I can thank you for watching, and I can tell you Late Kick Extra Podcast will be back in its normal slot of Wednesday morning this week, and Late Kick Live will be back in its normal slot of Thursday evening this week. And until then, I hope you guys have a great start to your week. Take care, appreciate you watching, and God bless. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.